This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Good news, y'all. I judge this once again to potentially be my favorite episode thus far, which is a good sign because I only believe it gets better. That's uh, a faith that I choose to live by, not only for the podcast, but for everything. And I, I trust that you can have that faith as well. And the faith in me sees the faith in you. Faith and stay. All right, so uh, <laughs> that was almost so corny. I'm considering cutting it. But regardless, what I'll do is I'm going to start off. Uh, the This is with Jesse Elder also known as a time piercer. Check out his video, Time is Illusion. It's going viral on Facebook. Freaking, this is, get ready. I might get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or whatever you need to do to think as deep as possible. And before we begin, I want to celebrate some of the over 200 five-star reviews that are currently on the podcast and also ask y'all to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast because that's what's going to help amplify this message of breaking normal and get more people to uh, be themselves regardless of culture. The first review, I'll read two. Let's do this one. Glam and plan. It says, five stars, breaking normal. This podcast is essential to continue on the path of breaking normal. I've read Breaking Normal for the second time because it helps me feel grounded and authentic. This podcast is truly the living, breathing version. I'm so excited for this podcast. I cannot wait for this podcast to reach people who would have otherwise not been exposed to Daniel or read Breaking Normal. Wow, thank you. And on that note, on the most recent episode with Kyle Kingsbury, which I highly recommend checking out, at the end of it, I did an excerpt from my Audible book, and it was about the naked chapter. Uh, I ended the podcast with that, and hey, maybe we can create a ritual, and I'll do it again this time with a different excerpt of the book. If you haven't checked it out on Audible, go ahead, download it. If it's your free first one, I think it's free, and if you have credits, it's easy breezy. Nothing is mailed, nothing is exchanged. Your phone just simply tunes into the frequency of breaking normal. You can put that puppy on one and a half to two times speed, take a hike, get a massage, or whatever you do to... Uh, Really let the message marinate. And let's do one more um, review here. This one is called Love Five Stars from Brittany Amone. This podcast immediately goes on every time I get into my car. The first word that comes to mind when describing this podcast, profound. Daniel captivates with topics that will make you feel something, that will remind you what it's like to be alive and how freaking beautiful it all is. I highly recommend for anyone seeking some high vibes and raw emotion. Wow. Thank you all. Thank you all. So I'm looking forward to seeing yours on there. If you haven't left one yet, it's really helpful to this, the brand of Breaking Normal. And speaking of that, we're going to be doing our first, um, what could be described as um, a Breaking Normal microdose of tribe design. This following Sunday in Austin, Texas, for um, we're going to, the first 33 people, the tickets are $33 each. And we're going to really give a, a mini hit of what a tribe design experience might be like because in less than three weeks, we have a full tribe design here in March 22nd, north of Austin. It's tribe design 11. And by microdosing, we don't mean that we are all sitting down and experimenting with psychedelics. What we do mean is that we will be gathering and getting high off our own supply through radical communication, fun, comfortable inner sizes, and a healthy dose of mystery. So if you want to come cultivate community, confidence, creativity, and connection, uh, regardless if you are like-minded with people or not, because that's what I think the world really needs is leaders right now that can team up and communicate beyond agreement. If that calls to you, then I trust we'll see you there. Um, just send me a message on my Instagram or Facebook because we have an event now, the event invite 
invite currently live and you can get your tickets right there with a click of a button. Isn't it amazing what we can do with a click of a button these days? And that's actually something we talk about uh, in this podcast with Jesse. So I trust you'll enjoy it. I'd love to hear your review about it. And then the, at the outro of this, I'll sample another excerpt from Breaking Normal audiobook. All right, much love, y'all. Keep breaking normal. Peace. All right, y'all. I'm here with Jesse Elder, right in the heart of Austin, Texas. <laughs> Great place to be. Yeah. Um, and a little backstory of how I was just explaining to Jesse how I think we're somewhat connected, or at least the breadcrumbs to me getting here. And I first saw him online as um, something to do with ethical cult building. And, I was, and he seemed to be the face of that brand and the messenger of what you're doing. I'm excited to talk about that. And that's so similar to what I imagine tribe design is. I'm, I'm excited to find out where they may be similar and where they may be different. Yeah. And then uh, I got to see you at trash, Traffic and Conversion um, in the hotel lobby there. And we started talking about baby bath water. Yep. Did you go this year to um, Traffic and Conversion? Just no, I okay, didn't. Cool. Didn't I was I was all poised to go. I had tickets and was going to go to the party and all that. And then at the very last minute, I was like, Yeah, no, not feeling it. So didn't go. Cool, cool. I like that. <laughs> I, you seem to be a very intuitive guy. So it's the best paradigm I've found yet. <laughs> and then our my uh, roommate right now, housemate Ellen Smokes. Uh, I they know each other, and she explained to me that we're probably we're like so similar but he's more into the law of attraction so i'm excited to talk about the law of attraction i'm, I'm happy that that is somehow involved with my personal brand i guess <laughs> I, don't, I don't know it's very, very interesting you ask 10 people and you get 10 different answers so kind of interesting mm, you're that like adaptogenic medicine something like that or maybe just a completely blank tablet that people can project their expectations onto mm. When's that not the case? Just different <laughs> degrees. Right. And then finally, on that note, I got to project myself onto you during this uh, video about time that's mm -hmm. seemingly really spreading around the web quickly. I think you said it has 8 or 9 million views at this point. Is that what you said? Uh, it's like 11.6 million. 11.6. Right wow. Yeah. And this t this is definitely a time-bending video. How do people find that if they want to go check it out? Uh, it's on YouTube or uh, Facebook. Just look up uh, Time is an Illusion or just Google Jesse Elder Time and it'll probably come up. Okay, cool. Well, that's what I want to talk about personally. Let's talk about some time. What is what is time? It's a word uh, used very creatively by human beings to describe this agreement. Um, I, I don't believe that it's a, a an immutable law uh, because if there are exceptions to something, then it's not a rule. It's just a sort of a suggestion. And it was very, very uh, strange how this kind of came out. I, I did not set out to develop any theories or I have zero training and I, I, I didn't even go to high school, man. I've never even taken a test in my life. So I've never sat behind a desk. I've driver's ed. That is the extent of my formal education. Um, but one thing, <clears throat> one thing that I've done consistently is to stay curious. And, um, a couple of years ago, this word just popped into my mind and the word was time piercing. And I had no frame of reference for this word. I'd never heard those two words, time and piercing. I'd never, it was, it was very alien to me, but it was visceral. Like the word just came in and I just felt it. So I actually Googled it immediately to see what came up thinking maybe it's a, you know, maybe something in the zeitgeist somewhere. I heard it. I, you know, whatever. I couldn't, I scrolled to like the third page in Google, which is essentially no man's land. If you're on the third page of Google, you might as well not exist. 
And it was like some obscure reference to some video game character's amulet or something. I mean, it's just completely non-existent. I was like, how can this be? Something that's so, like the even just the alliteration is kind of interesting. You're like, man, what is this? And so that word just kept making its way into my journal. And, and um, eventually there's a there's some some doodling that came around with it. And, and uh, this, this sort of double parentheses um, image kept coming to my mind. And, uh, and I knew better than to get logic in the way, you know, I didn't, I didn't try and make sense of it. I just allowed those feelings to convert into words. And then I started to have some trippy experiences, um, completely chemical free other than what's, you know, in our nervous system. And I began to have very interesting experiences around memory and around imagination. And I just began to ask myself some different questions that if, if something is real, all of its ingredients have to be real. But if the ingredients aren't real, then, then it's like not the, the genuine article. Like so many people now are really conscious about their food and what they're eating and they're checking where the ingredients sourced and you know what's the quality of the ingredient. And I started to think about time in the same way. This thing that we call time has three components that we're aware of, past, present, and future. But only one of those is verifiable. You can't verify the past and you can't verify the future. You can only think about them right now which means that they're now part of your present, which means that they're not the past anymore. It's your present. It's your attention on it right now. Before you put your attention on it, whether it's a memory or imagination, it didn't exist. And all of a sudden we light it up with our, with our awareness, our, our focus, and it becomes active right now, which means it's in the present. So I started to really question um, this sort of unquestioned idea that, well, does my past actually have any, any reality? And I started to realize it doesn't, other than that which I keep feeding it through the repetition of the memory. Then I began to wonder, well, if the past isn't, is, is only as real as my attention to it, then that means that thing that happened when I was nine or the thing that happened when I was 16 or the thing that happened or the, you know, the, the, the place that I was at when I was 21 it's only actually as real as the last time I thought about it. And then I began to understand that, okay, this is actually, we're only keeping these memories alive through our attention of them and through the retelling of the story and the repatterning of the neural pathway. So then I began to wonder, well, okay, if that's the case, and if I'm just thinking about this thing that happened, well, who am I to presume that I'm the center of, of my reality? What if there's more to me than I thought? And I've had enough, um, what I experienced as near life experiences, you know, seconds where I thought, oh shit, this is it. And then it wasn't, and I didn't croak, kick it. I stayed here, but there was plenty of times that I've been to the edge and kind of intuited on what's on the other side. And it's not scary. Like it's just, sometimes you have a body, sometimes you don't have a body, but you're always you, you always have your energy, you always have your essence. And so I'm, I stopped freaking out about death a long time ago. But then I started to bring that understanding into my, my awareness of time, and it started to make sense to me that what I'm experiencing now, and what you and I are experiencing right now, seeing each other here, and, and this duality, and these walls, and this chair, and you know, this is reality as far as my senses can tell. But, but who's the I that's actually perceiving this? And instead of the me that I think I am, and this you know, six foot two you know, uh, male Caucasian body, what if that's just an outcropping of me 
an extension of my consciousness that extended far enough into this duality to experience separation so that I can make free will choices. And that's not a new theory. That, that theory is in tons of places. But as it relates to time, it started to make sense to me that, well, if I, have, if I am this essence of, of infinite consciousness that is individuated into this single point of reference called Jesse Elder, right now, 2019, well, what if I'm bigger than this single point of reference? And what if my consciousness can actually experience different players in the game all simultaneously? But when that player is playing, it feels like it's the only one. But underneath, it's still the same energy, still the same player. So then from there, I started to imagine, okay, well, then, then that means the, the, the kid that I was when I was nine years old, if I think back, back to that kid, even though it's not thinking back, because if it's happening right now, then there's no back. It's just like thinking over. It's happening right now, just elsewhere in this field. And that kid is daydreaming and imagining what life will be like when he's, you know, an adult and he's living maybe in Austin, Texas. And so here's the weird part. Now is when it gets weird. <laughs> so if me today can think, quote unquote, back to that nine-year-old kid, and if that nine-year-old kid can think, quote unquote, forward to what it might be like as an adult, right now I'm experiencing that thought as a memory because of this illusion of linear time that it's already over, it already happened. So I have to think back. And then that kid, nine years old, is imagining forward making something up that doesn't exist yet, according to his perspective, because it hasn't happened yet within this agreement of linear time. So what if, outside of the illusion of linear time, what if that's the same thought? It's like looking at a pane of glass from two different directions. You're seeing the same piece of glass. You're just looking at it from a different perspective. So who's to say whether I'm imagining or, or whether I'm remembering or I'm catching that kid's imagination. Maybe he's imagining and I'm now feeling the, me the, the, the thought as a memory. Or maybe I'm remembering and he's feeling the thought as an imagination. And then I started to think, okay, well, how is this useful? Because it's already tripping me out here. How is this useful? And then I started to test it. And I started to test this for sourcing ideas of what to do next of what choices to make, what decisions to make, what, what can I create? Where am I stuck that I'd like a little bit of clarity? So I stopped asking mentors and coaches and, and, and I still rely on them situationally and, and for specific things, but in terms of big stuff, I stopped asking and I started just imagining through meditations, imagining that I was having a conversation with I won't even use the term future self because that implies that it hasn't happened yet. With this understanding and this sort of time-piercing philosophy, it's all happening right now. So that me that's already solved the problem, that's already healed the pain, that's already uh, attracted somebody into my life or has had an idea that can benefit people or has made the money or whatever, that version of me that's already had that experience or is having that experience, I can actually ask that dude, what he did and what should I do? And I began to get Im like immediate, immediate visceral sensations 
and images, and it was like plugging into Cosmic Google. It was just like, type in, pop, 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 this is what I want. The idea popped in. It was so real that it felt like a memory. It felt like deja vu. So then I began acting on those insights, and I began writing what what I experienced, and I began publishing, and I began sharing, and I began talking and teaching, and everything opened up. My time horizon shortened to almost zero, where... I used to be, oh, this is my 90-day goal, and this is my five-year vision, and this is what I'm going to be doing next Tuesday. All of that went away, and I began to aggressively shrink my time horizon to now, 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 now. And I would frequently throughout the day just stop what I was doing and remind myself that everything's happening now. And I am actually, and I believe we are all actually infinite. We have these infinite versions of ourselves, just like if you have your, your phone, I don't have any music stored on my phone, but I can play any song I want because it's all here. It's all, all the music is right here. It's, it's between my hands and you just put a device in there that can receive the, the information, convert it and transmit it. All I have to do is tune to the song that I want to play and hit play and it starts playing. Then I started thinking, well, shoot, Maybe that's what my apparatus is. Maybe that's what my body is, is a receiver and and an amplifier, a converter, and a transmitter. So then if I can imagine, which is the, the memory of the future, if I can remember the future clearly enough as an imagination, I'll get the feeling and the image, and then the behavior follows, and then I become connected to that person or those people, and next thing you know, it blinks into my reality. And since I was 17, 18 years old, I, I've been split testing paradigms. So I, never, I stopped asking what's true a, a long time ago. Ironically, we're talking about time. <laughs> I stopped asking what's true and I just started asking what's useful. And it seems so far the most useful thing that I've found yet is to just assume that all the information is there. I just haven't received it yet through thought or through feeling to then be felt and then sort of solidified into clarity. And then the clarity comes out through behavior, through intuition, through, through communication, through invitation, through acceptance, through denial. Hey, I'm not going to do that anymore. Oh yes, I'm going to do this. And I started to see that things start to shift really quickly and time became the least important factor in any sort of seemingly impossible goal. And so I just decided to start living in flow. Um, and it wasn't even scary. You know, I've, I've had, you know, people said, God, so it must take a lot of courage. I'm like, no, what takes courage is to pretend you don't know this stuff. What takes courage is to dull your senses and pretend that you don't actually have access to this information and feel that light kill you from the inside out as you suppress it. When you allow it to flow, it, it, life becomes uh, its, its own beautifully altered state. Wow. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't feel the need to say much. You, that was a <laughs> what a beautiful expression to the question of what is time. Yeah, and I've actually done that exercise quite a bit, remembering the future. That's something that I don't know how to speak. Uh, I don't know how to give it enough credit as a modality for yeah. what to do with our imagination. And this yeah. is and it's so interesting that you said you've never taken a test. Because that's what I'm. One of the things you know, there's a lot of issues with the school system, <laughs> but one of my main concerns is how much time 
of the how much duration of the student's career is regurg remembering yes. and regurgitating other people's ideas. Yes, I'm like, well, where's the room for the imagination? Right. Like, what about remembering the future? Well, the the, the um, my my father's a school teacher or retired several years ago, but he taught his entire life, and that has a lot to do with why I never went to school. But I've had many 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 conversations about this. Um, and one of the, 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 the concerns that comes up for a lot of people, especially parents, is the school system is broken. The school system is broken. And I, I know that feeling. Like, I remember thinking the same thing. I mean, I work with thousands of kids in, in over almost two decades with the martial arts schools. And um, I remember feeling the same thing. Like, the, oh, the system is broken. It's broken. It's broken. And then I started to think, well, wait a minute. What is a system is only broken if it's not doing what it's designed to, to do. You know, I mean, I've got a keyboard there, and if I turned the keyboard on and I started hitting the keys and no sound came out, then I could say it's broken because it's supposed to play music, or at least play notes. So the school system, if the school system was created with the intention and, and the explicit outcomes to produce fully functioning, self-authorized, rational, emotionally intelligent, respectful, empathic, creative human beings. If that was the purpose, then yes, it's broken. I don't believe that that's the purpose of the school system. I don't think that that's why it was set up. I think it was set up to teach, for the most part, conformity and to teach people how to fit in and to teach people how to move from one room to another at the, at the ring of a bell and to follow authority and to not question what they're told. So from that perspective, it's working brilliantly. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. I I, I was um, been listening to a book called The One Thing. If you've heard of that, yeah. great book. Yeah. Um, and he was talking. And he was bringing up the point of how this modern school system was really formed around the industrial Big revolution yeah. to create factory workers yeah. to like a system that could keep producing. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that yeah, one of the causes of that is that it suspiciously looks similar to like farming or imprisonment in, yeah. a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, in, in it's, it's funny you draw that, that parallel because even farming, uh, is such a new development in human history. You know, it's only, you know, 10, 12, 15,000 years old. Prior to that, people actually lived in this sort of lush, timeless abundance because you didn't eat more than you need. You know, you, you took what you needed and that was it. And the food supply kept populations pretty small. Dunbar's number, 150. So you had these tribes and villages and clans of people that are in this sort of perfectly balanced harmony. And I'm certainly not an advocate for returning to something like that. Um, but it's interesting that when agriculture came on the scene, then for the very first time, you have the concept of property. Prior to that, property wasn't really a concept. It wasn't the hammer. It, was, it wasn't my hammer. It was the hammer. And so it wasn't my spear. Maybe I used it, but if, if, if you needed to use it and there's game to go get, then you'd use it. I mean, it was very utilitarian, and, and there really wasn't a sense of this belongs to me um, until agriculture. Now agriculture, now all of a sudden you have a fixed asset called a farm, and now you have a property. And up until then, what, what, what kept human beings evolving and expanding so beautifully was that, that humans are the only creature that practices specialized exchange. So I would get really good at this and you'd get really good at this. And hey, guess what? You can catch more fish than I can, but I can, you know, catch more rabbits. Why don't I just catch rabbits and you just catch fish? We'll both make more production 
And then I don't have to try and catch fish because I'm terrible at that and vice versa. But when property came on the, on the scene, for the first time in human history, there was surplus. There wasn't surplus in hunter-gatherer era. What are you going to do with it? In fact, excessive um, kills and excessive harvesting was penalized by the group because it was a, de a de uh, depleting of resources. But with, with property, now you have excess. Now you have grain and you've got animals and you've got all this excess. So for the first time in human history, a new form of specialist emerged. And these are specialists in violence. And this is the advent of government. And so for the first time, you've got these people who say, well, you know what, instead of farming, why don't we just go to that farm with our clubs and our spears and just bop them all on the head and take their stuff. But then pretty quickly you realize that actually doesn't pay because now you have to work the farm. So instead of that, why don't you just stand next to them with the club and say, we're only going to take 80% of your production. And in return, we'll protect you from all the other specialists in violence. And this is how monarchies formed, and this is how property became wealth. Um, fast forward a few thousand years, uh, we're now on the end of that, I believe, because 30 or 40 years ago, for the first time since the uh, introduction of the agricultural revolution, for the first time, wealth is again becoming non-physical with the advent of the microchip and algorithms and processing. So now wealth is increasingly intellectual property. Wealth is a computer program. Wealth is a non-physical asset, which is very, very challenging for specialists in violence to control. And so we're looking, this is why, um, the reason why communism crashed is because it got outspent by capitalism. But they're, they're both very, um, they're like fraternal twins. Communism took the wealth first. Capitalism lets people get ahead of it and then takes the wealth through predatory taxation. Um, and so it's like a farmer going out to the field and just milking the cow for everything. Uh, but pretty soon the farmer is going to find out the cow's grown wings. And this is what um, the information revolution is doing, is creating unprecedented levels of freedom, which we, we don't really have the ability to comprehend yet because we're so indoctrinated to the concept of wealth as physical property. But as more and more people begin to experience the, the limitless power of intellectual property, um, intuitive creativity, this is something that no AI can compete with. And um, no matter how good sex robots get and no matter how finely pixelated a uh, virtual reality becomes it doesn't have the bioenergetic component that has people feel good and has people feel like themselves and this is why you'll never there will never be a uh, an artificial uh, alternative to nature and we are a part of nature, no matter how much Kurzweil and company and singularity gang want to convince us that intelligence logic is the highest reach. It's, it's a very, very limited view. It doesn't take into account the totality of what human beings are. And as people begin to taste more and more of their own ability to be creators and artists and poets and adventurers and songwriters and, and truly lovers of life, um, this ability to create real wealth, not just through property and, 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 and physical goods, um, but through creativity and through, through unique expressions of human creativity 
we're, we're looking at, at the advent of an entire new economy, which will be beyond the means of any specialists in violence, a.k.a. government. Um, they, they'll never, they won't be able to iterate fast enough to control it. Yeah. Amen. That's what we're doing right now. And that's mm-hmm. what my, like breaking normal, I have it on audible. I have it in print, but I'm so much more stoked on the audible. Yeah. Because I'm like, nothing's being exchanged. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah. So it's powerful. like I create something in this bandwidth and people can tune, use that phone to tune into yeah. the frequency. And that's yeah. all that's like, whoa. That's it. And and that's it is literally just tuning into a frequency, changing your brainwave patterns, changing your, your, um, emotional, um, you know, the feelings that you have, which then s- sort of sets you up to receive other ideas. And this is why, this is why like suffering is so 16th century. I mean, it's just like very, very, it's a vestigial remnant of human existence. There's, there's no need for suffering anymore. Not knowing what we know about the brain and the body and how quickly people can shift their focus. Um, and, and this is why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. Can't even call it work, but this is why I'm doing what I'm doing is because people come to a workshop or they watch a video and man, we get, we get messages and emails from people every day saying, Oh my God, I've been to fill in the blank seminar workshop. Da, da, da. I've been doing the work for decades and I watched this three minute video and everything made sense. I felt something open in my chest. I'm like, yeah, mother trucker, because you just tune back into your own basic frequency and it's an absence of resistance where you feel, Oh, Oh, that's me. I'm enough. And I've always been enough. Oh, this is cool. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And to, I, my, I'm to be attuned. And it's funny, like the, what you said, the tribe design is that going back to before relating to myth and culture as mm-hmm. how we're going to connect and more relying on being fully expressed and fully known and fully specialized. Yeah. So I so resonate with what you're dropping here. Um, and to... I'm imagining this was on YouTube, and you even mentioned on the um, that time is an illusion video. What you mentioned that there's been it was quite polarizing. <laughs> We've seen the spectrum of comments. Yeah, well, yeah. What <laughs> there's is... something like there's almost three hundred thousand comments on that video. Uh, actually, I think more. I think it has three hundred thousand shares. But uh, yeah. Anyway, the the comments ranging from "Holy shit, I've known this my whole life. I never heard it explained like that." To people kind of in the middle, they're like, oh, "I don't know about this." Um, you know, some people have, have messaged saying, like, this is amazing. I want to work with you. And, you know, they become clients. And then other people are like, we should we should all find where this guy is and hold him down and force him to believe the truth. Let's let's find out if we just kill this guy. Let's see if he doesn't believe in time then. I mean, it's people are having their own uniquely personal responses to this very simple message. Yeah, so that I could see on, I could see some people responding in that way, and I don't know exactly what it means. I probably uh, empathize or imagine that, like, if I was really using my imagination to be an extreme resistance to anything that challenges my paradigm, that could be a challenging way to live, and I could see how that could even draw violence out of someone. And um, I'm not, I think you're safe. You know, I think there's a lot of keyboard warriors out there. They're expressing themselves behind the safety of a computer screen because they haven't learned how to emotionally um, express themselves and embody the emotions that come with that, with the face-to-face communication. But um, what, well, it was coming up for me when you were saying that the suffering is unnecessary. I'm imagining people are going to be thinking about, like, well, what about the starving children in Africa? Or what about the slaves of a war? Mm-hmm. Um, since that 
on the news very, is very, still it's very very common. Yeah. So yeah. what I would love to hear what your yeah. belief around that is. Yeah. There's there's several. Um, and 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 it's I'm really glad you brought it up because this is when 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 you hear the statement suffering isn't necessary. Then if, then that's what a lot of people go to. What about fill in the blank? Well, my my question and I've had this come up in seminars a bunch. People will say what about? And my question usually is what about? Like what about them? Let's 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 talk about them. First of all, do you have any a person in mind? Are you do you have a do you have a, an exact experience that you're referring to, or do you have an image in your mind based on something that was served to you through newspaper or whatever? And most of the time, it's not a direct personal experience. Even then, what about fill in the blank suffering person? Well, even that person, in the moment of their most extreme life experience, the, the more intense the situation, the more resources someone has access to, internally and, and externally. Our ability to to tap into something that, that's, that's a part of us, that ability amplifies in direct proportion to the need for us to use that. So everybody's heard the story of the, you know, 80, 80 year old woman who, you know, picked the car up off the toddler and all this kind of stuff. But we don't know what that person's experience is because we're not that person. And what most people do, especially in the West, first world culture, is we project our levels of comfort and our lack of resilience and our standards that have in many ways been completely uh, sort of softened by 21st century modern living. So when we see someone who's sitting in a pile of mud with flies on them, we immediately project ourselves into that situation and think, I would be miserable. Therefore, they must be miserable. And then somebody says, no, but I'm just looking at the data. Their life expectancy is 38, whereas ours is 87 or whatever the hell it is. Okay, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with a life expectancy of 38? There's a premise there. The premise is that the longer the life, the better the life. But is that the case? Is that the case, that the longer somebody lives, the better of a human being they are, the, the better life they had? And then that reveals another premise, which I personally disagree with, which is death is bad and is to be avoided and kept away at all costs and pushed further out into the future. But that's like a fetus not wanting to be born no, not no, nine months. Give me longer. Give me longer in here. But birth is death is birth. And so not being attached to the, the, or not having a fear of death changes everything. Then not, not, and I recognize if somebody has different beliefs, this is going to sound harsh, but from my perspective, so what if somebody lives 38 years or 107 or six weeks? I don't have a perspective that says any one of those is better than the other. 
because that soul, that individual consciousness came here with its own agenda. And I now, and I've had friends of mine who, one guy that I trained with, I'll never forget, his name is Shane. One night, Shane and I were, were sparring, we're training, man, we just, we love training together. Good dude. And I was probably 19, he was a little bit older, so, you know, he's, he was like the cool guy. You know, I was 19, he was like 23. And uh, humble guy, just so like sarcastic and fun and just full of life. So we're training on Friday night, and he didn't come to class the next day, didn't come back on Monday, and finally I was like, well, huh, I wonder what happened. He went out that night, Friday night, ended up borrowing a friend's car, was just out having a great time, and somebody tried to carjack him. And he wouldn't let them because it was his friend's car. And they stabbed him. And he died the next morning. And I remember hearing that news, you know, a couple of days later, and I was devastated. And looking to that experience now with a, a, an expanded perspective around this thing called death, I don't have any sense that, that he lived a, a not enough life because I have a different sense of what life is. So now my perspective, and, and I've thought about him many times, uh, wow, expert player, man. Like if you finish the game in 23 levels, man you're wow well played man well played and i joke about it with with other friends of mine and we're like you know we'll, we'll be banging around in non-physical reality you know at the end of this game and somebody else will roll in there and they'll be like 150 and they'll have no scars and they'll have no stories and we'll be like amateur <laughs> wow that soaking for a second man um well on the i on the idea of ethical cult building yes. or tribe design yeah. or getting a group of people to connect um in a coherent efficient way yeah. one of the things we've really learned that works is music mm. and since i've asked you like what is time <laughs> what is culture what is music yeah mm. um yeah i think as a as a, a musician, my experience is uh, very co-creative. You know, it's a very very co-creative experience, um, and I and I've I've been present to lots of music as it happened, and it just happened to come through my fingers. But I don't have a sense of possession, like I don't have a sense of ownership. Like I wrote that song. It was more like I was there when the song happened. And it happened to come through my fingers. Now, it does come through my fingers in direct proportion to how much I practice and to how often I play and kind of like clean the, the pipes out, so to speak. Um, but I've been present to it where it just shows up. And so that caused me to strengthen the belief that all of this information is there at some sub-perceptual level. And instead of forcing it and making it happen, if we just invite it and allow it to happen, it does subtly and then a little bit stronger, a little bit thicker, enough to where I can hear a song in my mind that I can play or I'll get an idea of what to do and then I'll act on it. And um, this continues to be the, the most productive, fulfilling philosophy that I've experienced yet is just to, to assume that everything is available, just like everything is available on my phone. And all I have to do is type it in and say, all right, this is what I want. And then chill out 
because it's on its way. It's like loading, 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 loading. You don't go close the browser and start again. Just let it load. Let it load, let it load. Boom, and it shows up. It's not a surprise. So when epic stuff happens now, I'm not surprised by it. I am delighted. I'm very appreciative that I know how this universe works, and I understand my role perfectly in inviting and then allowing everything else to, to happen exactly or better than I've imagined. So to me, that's what music is. Music is always there. Um, I have so much respect for people who respect their music. Um, it doesn't mean I disrespect people who are, you know, doing it just to make money or whatever. Nothing wrong with that. There's a, um, a beautiful uh, letter. Let's see if I can find it here. There's a, a um, musician named Nick Cave. He's an Aussie musician. I'd never heard of him prior to this this letter. Um, but this this relates directly to to what we're uh, to what we're talking about here. While I find that. Um, well, while you're holding the phone and we're talking yeah. in front of the phone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do, uh, do you have you recognized any patterns like where you speak about that's the sponsored ad that might a sponsored ad on Instagram might show up right around that topic? Oh yeah. Okay. Now yeah. is that because Instagram has permission to yeah, it's in pick the term, up our voice. It's in the they, terms of service. Yeah. The moment you download the app, Instagram and Facebook Messenger, the mic is always on, and then you agree to that when you download it. And are they, do you believe, is that how it's working? They're just like when I speak into Siri to mm -hmm. dictate a, a text message instead of me typing it out, they're picking up on these words. And yes. like we're talking about whales, they're like, oh, this, mm -hmm. there's been eight whale mentions yep. on this phone's. 100%. <laughs> yeah. And then the algorithm yep. decides what yeah. ad shows up. Yeah, a friend and I, we, we tested this and we just talked about tampons for an hour. And next day I start getting ads for feminine products. And then the that seems very similar to the law of attraction as well. That's the algorithms. It's a useful metaphor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the universal algorithm is always always there. <laughs> or in other words, people might see what they're looking for. Well, yeah, and here's the thing: is is am I now seeing something that was always there? I'm just tuned my brain towards it, or did I cause it to blink into existence? Functionally, there's no difference. So, I don't. Again, for, for in my reality, in my life, I don't really care as much what's true. I care what's useful. And so whether there's some alien conspiracy or whether it's this or that or it's just my brain, it doesn't matter. Functionally, I know what reality I wish to experience. And I am continually appreciating the aspects of my life that I would like to experience more of while withdrawing my attention from anything that doesn't please me. So I am practicing this continually uh, practicing strategic ignorance. So I'm just withdrawing my focus from anything that doesn't resonate while amplifying my focus onto those things that I do. And predictably, how, how, can, how can my life be anything except the sum total of my focus? And then, yes, enter the, the pundits. But what about the... Well, it depends on what you think your gift is. If you think that your greatest gift is to suffer so that other people feel connected with you, knock yourself out. You're free to choose that. If you believe, as I do, that the greatest gift is the gift of our own happiness and our own well-being and just living your life in a way that the, the transformation the upgrade, the, the help, the contribution, that's not something we have to do. It's something that can't help but happen when somebody's in their own zone and they're feeling full of themselves and they're feeling good with who they are. Yeah, it, it, 
I've had some real dissonance um, because we've talked about the extremes of the pick what the media portrays and people that may be suffering mm -hmm. and uh, but something less extreme I've had so many friends that want to join us on our adventures and like they want to you know this is verbally they want to do that they want to do that and like well why don't you book a flight mm -hmm. like there's to me there's so many people that live in Pittsburgh and they have a story they just want to get out of there right and actually, it's really quite easy to move Click. these days. <laughs> to move fast, yeah. it's actually a mir it's a miraculous. It's, it's the incredible. Of our ancestors. It's incredible. Incredible. <laughs> incredible. And, and, and I I love that you said that, man. Because when people say, uh, "Well, I really want to do this," but no, you don't. You don't. What you want is to live in Pittsburgh. Why? Because we always choose the things that we want. And we always want what we're choosing. Nobody else is making the choice. And it, you may be three or four choices removed from the thing you want, but every choice is a trend. You know, when I sold the martial arts schools in 2012, that was largely motivated by my desire for freedom, location freedom specifically. So I began to make choices against this ideal of location freedom. In my mind back then was I want to have, I have no idea how I'm going to do it, but I can imagine a future where the only things I need to contribute, to, to make money, to, to teach, to connect, the only things I need are a phone, a passport, and a credit card. And I imagine a future where that's the reality. So then every choice I made, I would ask, does this lead closer to that or further away? So I got a, an offer to coach a bunch of financial advisors in Dallas, Texas. And I was like, all right, sounds really good. Let's talk about this. And one of the things that was on the table was showing up and doing a consistent on-site and doing the training. And I had to say no to it because that would have been away from my ideal. So what I did instead is say, why don't we just do it all virtually? That way you guys have access to the recordings. You don't have to worry about showing up to a hotel. And they're like, oh, that sounds great. Yes. And I did those calls from <laughs> all over the place. And that's been a big part of my own journey. And as it turns out, it's been a, a big part of, of my brand, if you will, is this complete um, nomadic lifestyle where I prize simplicity, I prize flexibility, freedom, but I also prize influence and impact and, and maximizing revenue because the revenue that I'm maximizing, every dollar that comes into my business or my, my companies is a direct result of someone's choice to do something different about their life. And so I no longer have any resistance around, oh, how much money I make? No, bring it on, man. This is a mental, a behavioral health is a $202 billion industry. Cancer is $164 billion. So there's no way that anybody in your field, my field, a lot of people listening to this, there's no way that we're ever going to be able, in, in 50 lifetimes, we will never be able to accommodate all of the dollars that are being spent right now. So bring it. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. That's, I, that's why I, I believe I have access to all the money in the world, really. Yeah. And I don't have it all in my accounts, yep. but who doesn't have that access? Yeah, yeah everybody, you're, you're, several, you're only a couple of choices away from the best next thing. And then once you normalize that, you're only a couple of choices away from the best next thing. And all this all depends on what you're focusing on. Have you ever heard this parable about a king that had a device or had a button that he could push and whatever he wanted, he would push it. I and think so. And show up right I think there. So. Whatever yeah, the experience, yeah. the yeah. thing, whatever it was. Until uh, he got so 
bored with that. Yep. And he started pushing the mystery button. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Mystery is another thing that, so when we, our tribe designs, we build the strongest tribe as fast as possible using music, mm. mystery, mm. mimetics, mm. which I heard you use early before the podcast, and then um, movement. Mm. So what about the mystery? What do you, what do you have to say about that? I've, I've um, found myself delightfully forced to code mystery back into my reality because things got so predictable. Things got so good, so predictably good, that I had to code mystery back in. I had to code amnesia back in. I had to code intrigue. And and uh, I would literally, in my journaling and meditation, just say, all right, I want today to be enchanting. I want today to be intriguing. I want to be surprised and delighted by this reality. And I would just put it out there and ridiculous things started happening. A buddy of mine messaged me like three days after I did that particular meditation a couple of years ago. And I was like, I want some surprise. Like I, I want some badass invitations to come in that are just completely nonlinear, things that I would not have thought of, but are in alignment with my values and my principles and what I want to experience. Three days later, a buddy of mine messages me. He's like, hey man, I know you love James Bond. And this is when Skyfall came out, you know, the, the new Bond movie back then. And he said, I know, um, I know you love James Bond. Uh, do you want to go see it? And I was like, yes. He was like, do you want to go see it in London opening week? I was like, yes. <laughs> so I booked a ticket to London from uh, from here in Austin at the time to London. We hung out. We had a great dinner. Uh, we went on these jet boats on the Thames, just cruising down the the, the river. Bla- they're blasting James Bond music as we're driving, driving as we're cruising by MI6 right there. You know, and then the next the later that night got blown up in the movie. <laughs> And they were cruising back. And the next day, we walked like 18 miles all around London. And the next day, I flew back. And I was like, great job, universe. <laughs> yeah, what a delivery. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. so that mystery. And I, I, I couldn't help but wonder the correlation of someone that may be arguing for their limitations unconsciously or addicted to suffering, and how that might be correlated with someone's resistance to mystery as well. Yeah, I, I think it... Most people just have, well, first of all, if anybody has a steady diet of prepackaged um, reality served up to them, then their creative faculties are absolutely stunted. Their ability to even imagine themselves doing something is so bastardized and is so completely mutated that when you introduce the idea of, hey, do you want to you go streaking down the street, just see what happens? <gasps> no, they can't even imagine it. But they'll watch YouTube videos with somebody else doing it and get that same little dopamine hit, the same little juice. So first step is somebody has to just unplug from all this prepackaged stuff and begin to actually feel their own feelings and think their own thoughts. And that's very easily done. Super simple. Just take your TV, take it out of the back, grab a gun here in Texas, very easy to do, and shoot your television. It's a very, very beautiful ceremony that I highly recommend. Um, <laughs> at your own risk. These views do not necessarily respect tribute. <laughs> and so I've never done that, by the way, but I haven't owned a TV. And I, I always think it's like, it could be. I wonder if it could explode. I know, I know. But the metaphor. Wear, wear, I, wear goggles. I love it. Yeah, but I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't owned a television in I don't know how many years. And um, because my reality continues to deliver better than anybody else's imagination can compete with. 
and and it may sound callous, like I don't appreciate the creative part. No, I love. I mean, I have very good friends of mine who are actors and actresses and producers and directors and super creative people, and I respect that so much. But what I love is their creative process. So we geek out on creative process. I don't like. I I want to be in the kitchen with them. I don't necessarily want to go and sit in the you know in the in the thing. I I was invited to an award ceremony a couple of weeks ago in, in L.A. and um, it was for AR and VR and 360 video and all this stuff. And the final award of the night goes to this director. He's directed all the Mission Impossible films. He directed um, The Usual Suspects and, you know, sharp dude, right? So Tom Cruise comes out to deliver the award. And it was astonishing. The moment Tommy Cruise comes out the, the thing, I'm looking immediately. My thing is always, I want to watch people watching what they're supposed to be watching. It's astonishing. All these people, man, they, they, like Wyatt Earp and Billy the Kid had nothing on these people's hand speed. Boom, phones come out. I was like, wow, that was instant, like switchblades. Everybody had their phone and was immediately watching, filming, live streaming, Instagram, this, this icon of modern royalty that we've been so conditioned to bow to. And I mean, I have to bow... You and I both were told we'd have to bow really far to bow to Tom Cruise because he's like four and a half feet tall. I have no love for the dude. I don't hate him, but I have no love for the guy. Isn't that weird? Isn't that such a judgmental thing for a spiritual guy to say? But the reality is he is very good at being him and that I respect. But the entire award ceremony was about all his stunts and how good he is and all of his accomplishments and all of these things. And that's cool. Like, man, good for you. But I was more interested in how everybody, like at the click of a switch, went into awe and this spectator mode. And I, I can just see the wheels turning for people thinking he represents some ideal. Oh, because he does all his own stunts. Wow, he's a real badass. Well, who cares what somebody else is doing, unless it inspires you to do something different for yourself. Now, I may be very harsh here, and it's possible that out of the 400 people that were in the audience, that the next day, it's possible that everybody in the audience immediately signed up for a motorcycle class, immediately went rock climbing, started to actually change the trajectory of their life. But I doubt it, because it's so easy to observe someone else pretending to live an adventurous life. <sighs> I don't have to do that. Yes, that is very judgmental, judgmental of you. Yes. And I would say in a very illuminating way. And I bet it's going to get people's wheels turning. So thank you for sharing that. Well, if we just if we just detach from what's being served we start to feel our own desires and that, and that to me, ultimately that's it. And I do have a respect for the dude who's fulfilled his dreams and is living his dream. That is like amazing. I just observe how easy it is for people to use that as an excuse not to live theirs. Yeah. It almost sounds like what I imagine is I idolization and maybe you were so much, you put it, you put it so much better in such a intense way that you probably got like, Oh, judgmental. Yeah. And I've been judgmental of idolization as well many times. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm at peace with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to me, judgment is uh, purely forming an opinion. Yeah. Now, condemning someone yeah. because of my judgment. Yeah. I like to judge my judgments yeah. and sit with that. 
<laughs> rather than pretending I don't judge or condemning or projecting upon yeah. others. I, yeah. I choose the judge my judgment route. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, what about memetics? What does that mean to you? Because I know we're going, we're going in some yeah. big quadrants, deep, yeah, fast. Yeah. So yeah, thank yeah. you. I feel like we're drilling some springs, yeah, some man. wells right now. Yeah, big time. Um, yeah, I mean, memetics is a, as an energy of thought. You know, thought. Uh, a thought. My understanding is that a thought is an electromagnetic uh, pulse. That once it's generated or or received, it it doesn't stop. It just kind of keeps going and so it may it may diminish in in strength but nothing that's been in you know einstein uh, well, i don't know if i'm gonna get into him but something that he said that i think is accurate is that energy can't be destroyed can only change form so a thought as an electromagnetic uh pulse vibrates at a very very fast speed and if that thought is maintained then it's it its frequency increases and so the, the strength of the thought increases and if a thought is thought enough it becomes a very very clear signal and eventually becomes a belief and that's what a belief is is a thought that's just been thought enough times that it generates its own momentum like a ball on a string you know if you if you just go one time you know not much happens if you get it really going you can even stop for a moment and it will keep going and that's just momentum so Versus law of attraction, I think law of momentum is actually much more observable and experienceable for people. Um, attraction kind of implies you're just going to sit and do nothing and it's going to show up. Uh, momentum is always observable. And so mimetics is, is sort of this, this theory or science or practice of thought energy. And so when people gather around a thought and it starts getting words added to it and then emotions behind those words... Um, which words are not, words have no power of their own at all. That's like, that's like saying that, that the car, um, is, is, is powerful. No, the car is just a vehicle. Who are you? Like you're the one driving and the same thing with words. Words have no power by themselves other than the emotion of the person who's uttering the word. So mimetics is this, is this really sweet collection of, of ideas that everybody can kind of gather around this philosophical, emotional, psychographic campfire, and we can all just share the same thought energy, looking at it from different perspectives, and then that mimetic energy itself will grow through the attention that everybody has around it, which is why it's so fun to see things um, like... Um, you know, the maker movement and you see so many people now making things and three D printing and, and and robotics and drones and and all this DIY stuff is so cool because this concept, this this mimetic energy around being a maker, it's 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 very cool. It's got a, there's a purity to it, there's a neatness to it, but there's also an intrinsic attraction to it. So that somebody even somebody who doesn't classify themselves as a maker is still kind of intrigued by it. It's like, oh, what is that? There's this innate draw to kind of see, well, how does that work? And, and there's, a, there's a coolness to it. Um, cooking shows, completely exploding because somebody who, even if they don't feel that in control of their life, they can control the recipe and that feels good. So now you've got the infusion of all these celebrities and, and, and emotionally charged chefs within the mimetics of, of cooking, but it's really about people. And so I, I dig it, man. I love it. I love, I love seeing how these clumps form 
also knowing that there is never going to be the world. So when people say, oh, I don't like where the world is going, like, which world are you talking about, man? There's like 8 billion. So if you don't like the one you see, that's uh, totally in your power to change it. Yep, that's that's a good real example. An easy example of a meme is like the Earth or borders. Mm -hmm. Like the the idea that Mexico and California are different mm -hmm. is a meme. Yeah, and that which has been given a lot of energy, yeah. which then produces evidence to support the mimetic. And the um, you said that words no power in themselves. I was thinking, what about symbols? Do you think are you including Same. symbols in that? Yeah. Yeah, that's I think a, words are symbols. Yeah, that's I agree. Is that's why that caught me because I do. Yeah, yeah, that one. I'm interested in it because in the dream world, how symbols might show up. Like, do symbols show up in a baby's dreams, yeah. in an infant's dream that hasn't yeah. had exposure to those symbols yet? Yeah, and I believe. Yeah, yeah. What do you think that's about then? Trans <laughs> transmission and receiving, because a, a baby is is. Um, I mean, babies come here with their own agenda. You know, I mean, you just look and and you're you have a daughter, mm -hmm. and you look in her eyes, and it's just you're just like, okay, I got a notebook, man. <laughs> I know you know some stuff, yeah. and it's incredible, man. It's incredible. So, and children are born into the momentum of what's already happening with their family, with the community, with their country with the, the time that we're in and so very quickly while they they may arrive here fresh and whoa here i am very quickly they begin to take on the qualities of the environment that they're surrounded by and so that's why actually to kind of segue over that's why death is so useful because all the people with the slowed down vibrations they just they they croak they, they just get out of the way and this vibration continues to evolve and so it's nature's perfect <laughs> so here you have these babies that are being born but they're born into this energy that's already got this momentum and that's why when a child is exploring something and they're given the ability by the adults in their life to kind of keep the bullshit at bay and like, Hey, you just, you do your thing. And that's, that's when you see evolution, just life, just happening unimpeded. And, um, and, and I'm very, and I'm so appreciative, uh, for my parents because that was very much, um, the experience that I had growing up. They, they, um, and they, they've told me this numerous times, even recently, uh, they said, you seem like you knew what you were doing. So we just decided to leave you alone and stay out of your way. Yeah. It sounds like good parenting <laughs> along with the notebook. Yeah. I'm so inspired yeah. by Davina and to see that yeah. pure energy flow yeah. through such a beautiful body. Yeah, man. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, creative process. You mentioned that's something you like to really get into. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit. What did, do you have a ritual or do you have a pro? What is this process? Is it changing? Yeah. Is it, what's it, what's going on with this? Yeah, there's, there's a few things. Um, something that I'm, that I'm working on right now that I'm, I'm really, really excited about is this, um, at the very beginning of, of our talk today, I, I mentioned that, that the, the message is going in two different directions. So the, the, the mind vitamins and the, and I mean, there's, we've got poetry books coming out and photography stuff and more improv philosophy and you know, all of that that will be available for anybody for free always will be and that's a big part of the work that, that I'm doing and that I'm here for on the other end of the spectrum is um, tools 
for people who have taken the responsibility and who have followed their own creative process to the point that they are actually leaders um, in, in this, what I call the wisdom economy. And one of the things that I, that I share with these, these uh, people is um, a process for actually manufacturing wisdom. And the creative process for that is essential. Um, and, and my definition of the wisdom economy is that it, there's information, there's knowledge, and then there's wisdom. Information is abstract data. Ones and zeros, colors, the elements. It's like a bunch of ingredients. But if you take those ingredients and you put them into a recipe, now those that information becomes knowledge. But here's the very interesting thing. I can, without even making the recipe, I can learn the recipe, tell you the recipe, and even though I've never done it, I don't have any experience, I can still pass that knowledge on to you. You can apply it to get a result. And that that's kind of cool, actually, because it does allow things to move pretty quickly. However, um, humans are very quickly being replaced by um, the the... the, the you know, the three new technologies of this century. Last century was um, nuclear, biological, and chemical. Those are the big, big technologies of the, of the 20th century. The technologies of this century are um, genetics, nanotech, and robotics. So when you put AI within the middle of that, anything that human beings are doing that is repetitive or is uh, linear is going to be very quickly replaced. So for somebody to be irreplaceable, they must become a, an avid practitioner of wisdom. And the difference between wisdom and knowledge is knowledge that is applied through experience then becomes embodied and then can be expressed as wisdom. So I can chat somebody on how to defend against a knife attack. They'll never be able to do it. But if we train, if we practice and they practice over and over exactly how to do it, all sorts of different ways and blindfolded and eyes closed and make them do somersaults so they simulate being hit in the head and now do it and over and over and over again, then it becomes embodied through experience. And then if they've ever find themselves in this situation, their body's going to respond. They, they can be said truly to possess wisdom. So for anybody that intends to remain uh, creative and productive and fulfilled um, and growing and secure, wisdom is the only way to go because it's the only uniquely human thing uh, that we can continually scale. So the wisdom economy is are those people, um, and I believe you're one, I'm one, that we've chosen to embody this, this practice of experience, of knowledge, taking knowledge, putting it through experience, and then sharing it which makes you a, a wisdom practitioner. So w the creative process then is a result of somebody intentionally living their life uh, within what, I, what I've identified as four quadrants. And these are not in any particular order. They're all equally important. The result of living uh, through these quadrants is the expansion of wisdom naturally, which means somebody is increasingly relevant, increasingly competent, and increasingly embodied in the things that they wish to share. And those four quadrants are, uh, first one is radical, uh, radical authentic self-care, because this is the, the conditioning and the, and the care of your, your mainframe, as well as your software, your, your, your thoughts and your beliefs, your body. So radical authentic self-care. Radical means that it is extreme compared to the average.
and it's different for everyone. You know, for some people, like you mentioned, the pool outside, you know, getting in the pool for, for many people, that's unthinkably radical for you. It's probably just called Monday. It's so interesting. The yoga teacher day, I came in like so cold. I was like, oh, she was asking me what do I need. I'm like, uh, I'm a little chilly. Right, <laughs> and, right. uh, then later she got like <laughs> triggered. She seemed triggered that I was polar plunging. <laughs> she had all the stories like, why don't you just take a motor? And I'm like, whoa, whoa anyway, wow. just side little yeah. synchronicity. It, I love that, man. So radical is subjective. Everybody gets their own version of radical, but radical, authentic self-care means self-care that is that feels intrinsically right to you. You know, that's that's the authentic piece. So that's a, a necessary, constant component um, for the, for this this wisdom uh, generation. The second, or a second one, is direct leading-edge experiences, and that means having the direct experience, not the observation of it. So. Getting in the pool, not watching a Wim Hof video on YouTube. All respect to Wim. I mean, he's done a phenomenal job at opening people's minds. But if you look at the number of people that talk about Wim Hof versus the number of people, the number of people that have actually dug on through his protocol or something similar, it's minuscule, which makes it really easy to win. Not in a competitive way, but for yourself. Go do the thing. Um, I have a program called Cultivating Confidence, and we get testimonials from people every week saying, I applied the tools, I did the exercises, oh, my life has changed. Yeah, because you, you step outside of the social gravity that people are in about what's right and wrong and all this stuff, and you begin to experience your own power, your own self-authorization, which is really cool. But that only happens through experience, not through study. So direct leading edge experiences doesn't have to be fearful. It doesn't mean you have to push through your comfort zone. It actually means expanding your comfort zone so that you're comfortable doing things that before you were scared of. And you don't have to be scared to then expand it. You can do it from the inside out. So those are two components. The third, though, is, is also very important. Uh, and uh, I call it the zero point. And the zero point is when there is an absence of stimulus. And this might look like meditation. It might look like journaling. It might look like taking a road trip. It might look like getting in a float tank or doing going on a Vipassana retreat. It might look like just beginning to take a walk every day without your phone. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but it's the zero point when you can actually assimilate and, and think about these things and you actually think about your thinking and you feel your own feelings. It's very confrontational for some people, but the confrontation only lasts for a few minutes if you just chill the chill out and make peace with yourself and accept yourself, then it's fine. So radical, authentic self-care, direct leading edge experiences, the zero point, and then you have the production zone. And the production zone is where all of this other stuff comes out. And it comes out naturally in an inspired, effortless, fast-moving, free-flowing current. Just like this dialogue. We didn't script this. I didn't know what we were going to talk about. You didn't know what we were going to talk about. It's just like like I, when you sent me that video, and I was like, oh, man, I couldn't even remember the last time when we first met. But it was an instant yes. Like I saw your video, I was like, yes. And we've actually never recorded a podcast in here before. But for you, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is going to happen. It was just right. I don't know why. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why. It's just supposed to happen. So here we are. And we're having a conversation that's never been had before. That's not egotistical. It's just accurate. This conversation has never happened. So that 
this production, which now this recording, and then everybody who's, who's listening or watching this will have their own thoughts around it. And then they're taking their thought further than they've ever taken, not just because of this, but they've chosen to introduce some new elements into their reality. That collection, Radical Authentic Self-Care, Direct Leading Edge Experiences, the zero point, the production zone. If somebody is continually swirling and moving between those, and there are many activities that actually occupy several of those at once, the natural result is the expansion of wisdom. And then the creative process cannot be stopped. So all this stuff about you've got to force yourself to create, I completely disagree. You forcing yourself to create is is an oxymoron. Like it doesn't exist. On that note, I think about low Earth giving birth to water, and like the best water on Earth, it comes out as a spring. Yeah. It, and then there are other ways to get water, like pumping it out of the ground. Sure. But it's typically not as high quality, right. and it could be such suspect. a good analogy, man. So it's like yeah, so I hear good. That. I hear, well, thank you for the freaking formula uh, to unlock some infinite intelligence right there i love it and yeah yeah you're right that's been a theme of breaking normal and i guess the symbol of breaking normal and the behavior of it is like the chicken or the egg they definitely have come together i've had um multiple stories like this is the first time this is this is the first time this is i'm like well yeah like you what you shared is such an affirmation to what Mm. breaking normal means to me Mm. and uh Man, maybe there's a part two coming in the future. We're going to remember a future yeah, because I think we could go down so many, up so many different rabbit trails. Uh, but you've mentioned that there was like um, some activities that included all four of those um, quadrants. Is there one that comes to heart when I ask you that right now? Yeah, I I, uh, I, th- I think that if, if we look at it rather than, than separate quadrants, you just sort of, you know, it's more like a, like an infographic. So, for example, you've got radical, authentic self-care, and then you have direct leading-edge experiences. They're totally subjective. Um, I can remember the first time that I rode um, uh, a motorcycle over 125 miles an hour. And that was right in the middle between radical, authentic self-care, because it was so good for my soul. It was so good for my mind. It was so good for my emotions. And it was also something I'd never done before. So if I put it down here on the extreme of only direct leading edge experiences, that's accurate, but it's incomplete because it's leaving out the self-care part. So it would be right in the middle, all the way to the extreme of both of those. Yep, I hear that. I'd love uh, for people to open up the conversation uh, on the review section. First of all, to hear your review, and if there's, what's your like activating flow state? What what activates your flow state where you're like in maybe somewhat harmoni- harmonizing between all four quadrants? I I thought of surfing for sure. Yeah, yeah. So there's yeah, definitely beautiful. when I'm surfing good waves, sometimes I'm like, oh, I got ideas yeah, as well. Yeah, like, I gotta go get back home and make big that time. call or whatever big it time. is. Well, what's fun is when you start to stack your activities into a into a customized protocol. So knowing that, for example. Um, doing uh extreme physical workout like i'll, I'll train jujitsu and immediately after the, like as soon as the rolls are done i'll go over to the wall open up my feet and stretch out close my eyes and go into a four-phase meditation that meditation is so data rich once my my mainframe has been completely you know put through the ringer in jujitsu which i love so there's that followed by that and then if I, and I found that after that, if I go and write, so now I've got leading edge experience, 
I have uh, radical, authentic self-care, I have the zero point, and then I have the production zone, and all of those happen within a two-hour window. <sighs> Pure stuff happens. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely check out the Breaking Normal podcast website. I did this miracle morning to kick it off, and, it, and I've been having a ritual lately, uh, ex- whoo, synergizing with different supplements or plants while uh, waking up in the morning going polar plunging and breathing followed by yoga followed by climbing and then followed by swimming in deep eddy pool which is a well-fed pool amazing so if anyone's in austin actually and that wants to join that if you want to join some of these mornings there's a group of us right now just supporting each other to get in that state of receiving the highest frequencies amazing so uh yeah reach out to me reach out how's the best place for people to reach out to you um i'm weirdly antisocial for being on social media so much but uh best thing is there's there's a ton of content if people want to explore this more uh facebook youtube instagram instagram jesse elder live or jesse elder on facebook and youtube um website jessieelder.com i don't actually interact a lot um which I've, it's been a more recent thing for me. I found that, that my own production zone is, is better when I'm just creating content and just pushing it out there. Um, we do have some private communities for, for people that I'm working with. And if somebody is, is in the wisdom economy and they're on the upper reaches of that and they've been doing it for a few years and they have a, a business that's sustaining them, um, then they can send me an email to timepiercer at iCloud.com. Uh, and we can probably do- dialogue a little bit more about the, the, uh, the wisdom protocol. Awesome. Yeah. Now, um, we'll include all this in the show notes. So check that out. And man, what an inspiring, uh, whatever pleasure, time, man. hour and 11 or hour and 12 minutes here. It's awesome. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you, man. Amazing. This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Wow. So I'm curious, was that anyone else's favorite? Man, these things keep getting better and better. If you know other people that would be great for the show, feel free to reach out to me or connect us or leave it in the review section of the podcast. And I really look forward to hearing from you. I love teaming up. I believe humans are social creatures, and that's where our real genius is activated. I actually believe every person that I can meet and understand, then I get to know more about me because I think – They are all a reflection of me and vice versa. So uh, go out there, learn more about yourself by connecting with others in a very synergistic, alchemical way. And if you've never have done that in an all-in, like, four-day way, join us at Tribe Design, Austin, March 22nd. It's an hour north of downtown. Such a cool spot. We got right on the water. So many amazing people have already signed up. And, uh, yeah, internationaltribedesign.com or breakingnormal.com to find out more information. And then um, here is another excerpt from the Breaking Normal book on Audible. I'd highly encourage you to check that out. It's getting rave reviews. It seems that it's been a a freedom catalyst for many people's lives, and I trust it's only going to get better. All right, y'all. Much love. Peace. To the degree that one fears judgment from others is the degree to which one judges others. Chapter 8. Judge your judgments. In the past, whenever we met a new person, we tried first to demonstrate that we were normal, not crazy or weird or wacko. We said things and did things we thought would win that person over, and if we were right, we formed a relationship. Then and only then did we reveal our weirdness piece by piece, hoping it wasn't weird enough to break the superficial bond we'd created. 
Not being sure of ourselves, we looked for reassurance from others. We put out feelers in all directions and monitored our social radar for potential threats and allies. What we didn't know is that the same script we ran on others, they ran on us. The script was unconscious, unspoken, below the radar, and for that reason, it ran the show. That's the rat race of regular relationships. People half in the closet, half out, trying to manipulate each other into desired results, subconsciously acting out their own agendas. Real relationships are based on open curiosity rather than secret condemnation. They are about locating each other on our individual journeys, finding synchronicities among moving targets, and catalyzing us to uncover who we really are. What's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? When I hear these questions, I actually hear deeper ones underneath. What can I judge you for? How can I make myself feel more significant in your presence? What are your initial impressions of me? What don't you want me to know about you? It's pretty fun to play around with asking these questions directly instead of indirectly. In the so-called normal world, there's this idea that we shouldn't judge other people based on the proposition that who are we to do so? Only God who is above, who sees all and hears all, can be trusted to be pure and good in his and or her evaluation. We forget that one of the most respected positions in society is that of a judge. Like God, like kings on the throne, judges sit in the courtroom higher than the lawyers and plaintiffs and defendants. They sit higher than the jury. They wear solemn robes and retreat to private chambers before issuing a ruling. If judging others was so bad, why is it that our law and order depends on it? In reality, judges are regular people who we've dressed up, people who we ourselves judge to have good judgment, people we have judged to be wise, and therefore we put them in a position of authority. We invented judges so that they could provide something we crave, perspective, which leads to closure, which leads to peace and reconciliation. Good judgment is essential to our lives and fundamental to our survival. It is hardwired into our brains, which adapted to make distinctions and evaluations quickly based on different factors. Without judging that a cave lion is different from a cave wall, for example, our distant ancestors would not have survived very long. We wouldn't be here today if insisting on non-judgment we fail to see the distinction between, say, predator and prey, or different types of plants or clean and contaminated water. The difference now is that it's not as obviously useful to us for survival as it was in the past. Today, when our basic needs are more easily met through technology, when the same tried and true foods are available in abundance, it would seem that we can get away without judging, but that's not really how it works. Judgment is divinely designed into us so we can survive. We judge continuously, even in our dreams. We do it while crossing the street. We do it while interacting with new groups of people. We do it every time we take a bite of food. We do it every time we select a potential partner. It's part of our inner monologue. To judge is to distinguish ourselves from something else as a way of maintaining our bodily integrity, our sense of identity. We are able to judge because we are different, and we are different so that we can judge. Besides, what we normally call non-judgment is a judgment. As long as we're alive, we're going to judge and be judged. The degree to which we're afraid of being judged might be the degree to which we ourselves judge others. Some of the least honest people I've met 
claim never to lie, and some of the most judgmental people never to judge. Personally, I've found a lot of freedom in being more open and transparent about it. In light of all this, there's a sort of upgraded icebreaker we can do, similar to the confession session, but less formal. Instead of sitting in a circle, the exercise has everyone in the group mingle freely with the goal of meeting everyone, except that when they meet a new person, the questions they are inspired to ask are a bit different from the ones we might normally ask. These questions are designed to break the norm and snap us out of any cultural conditioning or hypnosis. Initially, they might cause people to be taken aback or shake their heads, but after that initial fun comfort, I find they elicit greater authenticity. What can I judge you for? I think that's a great lead-off question. Slightly taboo, but intuitively right. It seems daring to ask aloud because it's off script and you have no idea what the other person is going to say. The question means, how can I differentiate myself from you? What markers can I use to put myself in relation to you? There's your name, of course, also your work and origin. But then again, there's also your religion, your talents and hobbies, even your hair, your eyes, your color, size, and shape. Naturally, I'm judging these things too, subconsciously at lightning speed with seemingly little conscious effort. It's amazing how quickly what can I judge you for gets to the heart of connection where two people allow themselves to be vulnerable to one another and accept each other precisely for those vulnerabilities. Show me your weak spots, it asks, or the spots that you imagine to be weak and which you therefore might try to hide. It could take years, I imagine, for casual acquaintances, friends, or even families to get to such a depth. How can I make myself feel important around you? This is a question I imagine we are asking all the time without really asking it. It seems to me that as we're feeling out new people and situations, we are looking for openings in the conversation in which we can interject ourselves in what we consider to be our gifts. After the initial judgment or assessment of another person, we usually want to know where our strengths lie in relation to him or her. Being more expert in something at which someone else is a novice allows us to feel more important. How can I make myself feel important around you? This raises the question, do I want to feel important around you, and why or why not? The answers to that question, I imagine, will reveal a lot. There are so many questions you can ask a person which, in my opinion, catalyze a connection far quicker than the standard interview. In this exercise, we can play around with asking fun, comfortable questions and hearing fun, comfortable answers because we've created a context of acceptance and honesty. Keep in mind, this is an exercise to be done among willing participants. Even though the more you practice this exercise, the more adept you will become at breaking normal in your daily life, this is not a license to say whatever you want to whomever you want wherever you happen to see them. I don't advise or encourage you to go up to any random person at the grocery store and let loose with whatever comes to mind. To me, that might be an abuse not only of this exercise, but to you and the other person. Other questions include, When was the first time you knew you were a sexual being? What question do you not want to ask me? What are your initial impressions of me? When was the last time you had sex? Do you have any history of addiction, infidelity, or STDs? Truly illuminating questions are infinitely available, so be sure to create your own. And please do notify us at breakingnormal.com and check in regularly for the questions we are adding to our database. 
The next exercise we do is two-part.